Hey guys, it's Alexia James, and this is Diary of a 20-something, a podcast that is going to dive into the experiences of being in your 20s and trying to figure it out. The wins, the failures, the heartaches, and the struggles with everything in between. Hi everyone, welcome back to Diary of a 20-something podcast. Today is a very special episode because we have Shireen Taylor on the podcast. You may know her as head cook and bottle washer of Bashi Magazine by night and amazing writer slash Twitter queen by day. (laughs) So everybody meet Shireen. Hi. All right. So first thing we want to get into, which is something I'm really curious about. And of course, I think a lot of people are curious about as we see like Bashi taking over the whole Jamaican industry, culture, music, everything, <laughs> which is just telling us a little bit more about where the idea came from and your whole journey with Bashi Magazine. Awesome. So um, two or three years ago, I was figuring out what I wanted to do in university. I had changed programs a million and four times. Um, before I finally settled on media studies. So one day I was in like a a class called History of Media Studies and it was an online class. And I had usually just watched it like in the evenings when I had time. But one day I happened to be on campus and I went inside of the class. And that week um, the lecturer was like, today we're gonna be talking about Jamaican sound systems. And I was like, what? I didn't even know that there was space in like academia to talk about Jamaica's cultural production and Jamaican culture. But um, we learned about like the history of like sound systems as um, a a larger part of the history of media. And in learning about um, sound systems, I came across all these like really wicked Jamaican scholars, um, some of which are teachers or professors at the University of the West Indies in Mona. And I was so overwhelmed with like happiness. Um, And I like it completely changed what I was doing in school. At the same time, I was freelance writing um, and had been writing since like 2015 when when dance hall like quote unquote reemerged back onto the scene. Um, And I was really upset with how I saw it being talked about, um, particularly from people who weren't from Jamaica. And then I also happened to be the editor-in-chief of my campus's publication. So I really call Bashi an amalgamation of all these experiences to be what it is today of having done freelance writing, of doing a magazine in the past, and also like having knowledge from different places, like both experientially as a Jamaican Jamaican person or a person of the diaspora, like in the academy at school and also like as a writer and sort of wanting to create content that really spoke to that experience as well. Um, And then what sort of like really like ticked it off was um, I had been asked to do um, collaboratively to come up with this playlist or this top 50 dance hall list. And I just didn't like it at all. And I was like, you know what, there has to be a way for us to talk about Jamaica and Jamaica's culture in a productive way um, from people who are really connected uh, to that identity and 
what those experiences might be like. So that was a very long-winded uh, history of, of how we came to be what we are today, but that's the story of Bashi. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about its growth and any challenges. Oh my God. Um, it has been received in a capacity that I wasn't expecting. And I'm overwhelmed and grateful for that because initially when I had come up with this idea, I didn't have any expectations. I just knew I wanted to create something. Um, but just seeing how much people supported it and the response that I've received from it has been very instrumental in allowing me to remind myself why I should continue and why this platform is important. Um, some of the challenges, though, has been the fact that my experience is mostly uh, editorial. So I don't know if I would say it's a, a challenge, but a learning curve has been figuring out the business side of publishing. And, and publishing is always changing. Um, the the beast of Bashi is that it's both print and digital. So it's figuring out two different industries and how to be responsive to how those things change. Um, also that like, we're not a huge media house, so we don't have like a massive budget to work from, but still have aspirations to want to produce quality content, which I think we're, we're doing pretty good, good so far. Um, but it's definitely learning how to adapt to those industries as a smaller publication um, and and learning about the different aspects of publishing that exist outside of the editorial part of it. I totally get you, especially in terms of navigating a whole new space. Do you think... Right you often encounter problems that people think you're so new in terms of what you're doing that they kind of like to put you aside and how do you usually deal with that? Um, there are some like, I guess there's some, sometimes I would ask if Bashi could have access to a certain place and we don't get it. And I understand from their perspective that usually they want to give access to established media brands and stuff. Um, that's been like something that I have to not take personally, you, like, cause I understand that that's part of the industry and uh, in asking for accreditation or in asking for press coverage that you want to get, it's, it's all, at the end of the day, it comes down to numbers, right. And impressions and you want to have the most amount of impact. Um, so that's been like one of the things that I've had to like sort of wrestle with, but I think I'm coming to grips with it now that um, some people will will see the value in Bashi and want to even give us a try, which I'm like very grateful for, but that we still may have a little bit of a ways to go in order to get access to the kind of spaces that we need to be in or that I think we need to be in. Um, so it's just being patient through that process um is a difficult thing <laughs> to have to, to go through I see that it's so strange because when I initially saw Bashi and I was like this seems really interesting and then 
I came onto your Twitter page and I was like, oh, this is who does everything. And then you were female. So now just like added to everything because I'm all for like female empowerments and female businesses. So I was just like, oh my gosh, I love her already. And I don't even know her <laughs> just because like <laughs> you started this whole public publication on your own and stuff. And then I saw and congrats on the video that you did in terms of that first video switch thing that Bashi did. Thank it was you. really cool. Um, if you want to talk on that, feel free because that was amazing. And I know something that we speak about offline as well is just representation in terms of Jamaican mm-hmm. culture and Caribbean culture on the global mm-hmm. stage and how it's still not recognized, even though it's used so much internationally. So what are your views mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, so, yeah, we have we have similar views in the fact that I really feel like a lot of the times people come to the Caribbean and take uh, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally and don't know how to give back to the the people and the culture in ways that are like outside of exposure which is cute but like who cares um there's people who like as anywhere else people in the Caribbean need to like eat breathe live um have aspirations to want to make money from the projects and the interests and hobbies that they have. So I've always tried to, where I can make those connections with people and like um, lend resources or help to facilitate that connection so that folks are able to, um, you know, to, to want to do that or, or see the value in, in working with people in the Caribbean. And it's, it's, it's also reminding myself too that we don't necessarily need some validation sometimes because it's valid in our own production. Like it's valid because we do it and we make it, but it would be nice if we can reap the benefits that other people reap. So like some people, some artists will dabble in dance hall and I'm just like, okay, but then there's, there's a whole list of dance hall artists that's symptomatic of like, like the, the industry, the geography, there's a whole bunch of things that lend to why we're not able to facilitate those the way they do. But I've always been interested in trying to see like where we can make those connections and practical connections and sustainable connections so that the next generations of creatives have something to want to aspire to or have sort of like a, a structure or a template to follow. Um, but with regards to Bashi, I've, I've, I live in Canada and I live in Toronto and it's very, very, very difficult to get <laughs> a job in media mm-hmm. because there's not many spaces to do so. Uh, Canada's media spaces are, it's very exclusionary. Um, there's not many black folks, uh, in spaces doing the work that they, that needs to be done. And unlike the States, though I know the States, um, like writers, Black writers, specifically Black women writers that I've spoken to in the States, they complain about, um, they critique the industry in the same way. There are fringe publications in the States. So there's like, uh, there's Blavity, you know, there's Bossip, there's all these alternative spaces that people can occupy. And I don't think Toronto's all the way there yet. So when I think about Bashi, I, I've always saw it as one to color 
the industry in like a literal and figurative sense of of what kind of media comes out of Canada, even though we're a publication that's made for and by Jamaica and its diaspora. But two, my long-term, and I'm hoping that they're not lofty and they're achievable, but my long-term goals have always been to um, like establish Bashi as a media house, like with a brick and mortar location where there's a studio and we can employ people and create jobs and, and, through this space, like allow people to be, to see like what um, Jamaica has to offer and what its creatives has to offer. When we, when we made the video, we worked with a director based in Jamaica named 300. We worked with our music editor, um, Shanice, like, and like we created a job for her as a host. And then um, we had an opportunity for 300 to showcase his skills as a director. Um, and then we were also able to show off this really amazing restaurant. So, you know, those are like three different like uh, things to to run into from this one video. Um, so when I think about what I'd like Bashi to be in the long term, it's definitely like something that creates jobs and opportunities um, and, and like livable income so people can like live and and um, sustain themselves as like a media worker and as a creative. I totally agree. Because that's one thing, a lot of creatives as well. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing a lot of feedback. <laughs> oh no. Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, I'll cut this out. But a lot of creatives as well that I meet in Jamaica or even from the Caribbean, the first thing that you struggle with is how to even monetize your craft. And that's the biggest right. thing. And then people, of course, they take advantage of you and then you will know how to price your stuff. So I've had to like right. mentor, well, not really mentor, like full on, but just give people advice in terms of pricing themselves and their service mm -hmm. because you're still a walking brand at the end of the day. But I'm getting a little off topic. <laughs> so I just want to, <laughs> it's okay. So I just want to go into because you already started to speak on writing and spaces for writing um, available in Canada. But how has your experience been in terms of being a female writer in the entertainment industry and breaking through to write for such amazing publications like Fado and all the rest? Because you have such a long slate. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. Um, so I think like one of the biggest challenges I have is allowing publications to see the value in wanting to write about Caribbean content. Um, when I write for like publications that don't necessarily have as much coverage on Caribbean artists or creatives, I have to like link it back to the U.S. somehow, which like I, I s sort of get, but don't always care to want to do. Um, and I feel like if you're a country that there's a possibility, this is just a hunch that Caribbean people live in there. And why wouldn't you want to create content for them? And the when people do... Um, I'm going to say like marketing or something like that. There is research that's done so that you can understand who your demographic is, who your target demographic is, what your audience look like. 
And I don't know if if Caribbean folks are included in those things because I read publications, different publications every day. I watch a whole bunch of videos every day. And I'm always like, oh, like it'd be really cool to see like, you know, a Caribbean thing in here just one time. Um, I don't know if we are people's target demographic um, or if we're included in like demographics to consider outside of the majority. Um, So definitely it's been trying to see value in in having this a publication or something host a story or something that's been like one of the most difficult parts and I'm hoping that like we can move past that like much quicker um for the most part people are like are willing to to do so um now and I don't know if that's because of um, like my portfolio or because who I am um, and and that means anything to anybody or if it's just like a, t- a tide in uh, changing the editorial direction of, of something but definitely that's been one of the like the biggest things that like earlier I had to like sort of navigate and now um, just just a little bit less but it's it's definitely that. It's interesting what you said in terms of if research is actually done on the Caribbean. And so many times I've been in conversations with different people in terms of marketing and business. And it would be like, mm-hmm. that market is so small. Like, it's so irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything to us. And this is literally what they say. And yeah. I would be like, in my mind, I would be like, if it's so irrelevant, why is it constantly being sampled and everything? Why are people so right. obsessed with it? Why are people using it for their clothing? Why are they using it for their aesthetics? You know, but that's mm-hmm. literally what's said. So a lot of times, unless people within the Caribbean conduct those service themselves, which are usually pretty expensive, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's something that I've realized a lot. So that's why even when you see different international brands operating in the Caribbean the Caribbean would still be like looped into like Latin America and it would be like okay so the Latin right. division and these like five right. Caribbean countries okay these people yeah. handle them you know and it's just kind of grouped off into this little segment and it was interesting because yeah. some people something and they're like why isn't the Caribbean ever included in people's world tour you know and I was thinking mm-hmm. about it and I was like is it the infrastructure is it like the promotion promoters just are difficult to deal with like I was really wondering why because when I was in Trinidad it would have some international concerts that would come mm-hmm. like Beyonce performed Chris Brown came Maroon 5 and a couple other people and but I know it's a way more expensive for the type of productions that they're used to and in right. it would probably be the biggest right. thing holding that back um but yeah I just found that interesting right I think too like I, and I'm hoping I'm not like um, trivializing this this uh, the process of making a production. But if you ever look at a book, the like a book usually has three prices. It has like the UK price, the Canadian price, and the US price. And I'm always like, I feel like artists need to like tailor their productions for the geographies that they're that they'd like to go to, like. Beyonce might not be able to pull off like the entire production of what she usually does in the show 
um, if she comes to Jamaica, like there might not be the resources, there might not be like a venue to facilitate that. But like, why would you want to do a production like that in, in the Caribbean anyways? You have the whole outside to use as your advantage. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like maybe there should be a little bit more effort if there isn't already effort in seeing like how things can work. Like there's some fest that happens and I feel like if some fest can happen, then like, you know, maybe larger productions can also happen. And when I'm thinking about like um, outdoor festivals, like Coachella, um, Afropunk, um, anything that exists outside, a lot of times those, those sets are stripped down and it's just like the artist on a stage and there's no gaudy production. So I'm just like, you know, maybe we can do that in Jamaica. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to be this thing. Maybe it can just be a performance and people would be so grateful that you're there and that you're, that you're giving them something instead of always being left out of. of, There is one experience that I had in Jamaica of a concert Mm -hmm. and it was a dancehall artist and I would not lie, like, it was probably the scariest experience of my life. Because, really? Yeah, because it had VIP and general. And I'd be probably, a lot of people hear this story, but literally the general, they broke down the barrier in terms of oh my goodness. And like, people got trampled and it was really oh, insane. Wow. And of course, people, like, blamed it on the production the execution team Mm -hmm. which we would not say who that was but it still happened and then I think about that and I'm like word travels like look how fast things travel so Mm -hmm. but even though I've still seen amazing productions like Shaggy's concert Mm -hmm. is insane production wise and I haven't even ever been physically there to see it but I just see it on people's social media and I'll be like this is insane production and I I don't think we can just discredit some of the execution teams in Jamaica are doing amazing things right. like main events and those companies are literally propelling a different standard in terms of execution. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think it's possible. And then you said some fest as well. So yeah. it'd really be interesting to know what's the real reason in terms of why these yeah. camps or teams just disregard that because people have Latin America shows. So yeah, yeah, yeah there I like I fully believe if any like major pop artist came down to wherever in the Caribbean that it would immediately be a a sold out show Mm -hmm. like immediately so we'll see if that changes yeah so the next thing is you kind of touched on already in terms of breaking barriers as a Jamaican writer because you spoke earlier in terms of people then find that content relevant. So maybe we can talk about mm-hmm. the reasoning or the mindset behind why they initially thought it was irrelevant and what's changing now. I think the the benefit definitely for me is that with in, in the Caribbean, Jamaica is one of the most visible or hyper-visible countries. Like people know what Jamaica is, like if I say it, if I say it, um, and they're familiar with some parts of it, whether it be music or food. Um, so that's the that is one advantage is that I don't have to sell like I don't have to sell it so hard. Yeah. Um, because people have already 
been introduced to it in a in a small capacity, it's easy it's it's easier to grip onto as an idea. But definitely when I'm when I write, I'm always like, okay, like there's no reason why we need to for example, when Spice did um Black Hypocrisy, right? Mm-hmm. And all these publications were like, you know, Spice did this, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. Um, most people knew who she she was because of the because she was on Love and Hip Hop, but like also because she's just like popping and and like she has fans like outside of Jamaica. But when I saw a lot of some how some publications handled talking about her and stuff like that, I'm like, you know, if you covered Jamaican artists like outside of a particular news beat like this would be handled a lot better and wouldn't everybody wouldn't sound so crazy when they're talking about her and when they're talking about what it is that she's doing so my goal is to like have Jamaica be a part of regular news beats like in the same way that we report on like Rihanna and and other pop artists Nicki Minaj and whatever like I would like for Jamaican artists, well-known Jamaican artists, to be also be a part of those conversations as well. Because like, why not? I'm always like, you you open up yourself to an entirely new market. Like, if there was a news uh, a publication that I know regularly follows Jamaican artists, I'm there. Like, you have a loyal subscriber. <laughs> so like, I'm just trying to figure out like why like why hasn't anybody thought about this as a means to open up their demographic or or cater to a different audience that is that is under catered to. Um, uh, there's a the the web series, um, you know, Cheta Cheta Box, Cheta Cheta Box. Yeah. That Rihanna, uh, I'm not Rihanna, Raina runs. And one of the things that she said to me when we spoke like a, a few years ago was that the like sort of similar to the conversations that we've been having is that the Caribbean is an underserved market. And it totally is. So, yeah, just keeping in keeping those things in mind. I'm always just like when I'm writing, I'm like, there's like even if there's no value for anyone else, like there's value in it for me and for the other people that I know who'd be interested in reading stuff like that. I totally agree. The last thing is what inspires your work ethic and what advice you'd have for any creative. Hmm. Well, like, first and foremost, like, I have like bills, student loans. <laughs> I feel you. Pay, so, like, <laughs> that is what motivates yeah. me a lot of the time. Is that I'm like, those things need to be paid. I need to live. I need to eat. I need to like enjoy myself. I need to like have income. So that is that is primarily what what um pushes me to to keep going. But on on the side, the other side of that is that, like, I really do have a passion for, like, for creating content, like, for the Caribbean and about Jamaica. Um, that's just, like, I, 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 all, I love content creation. Um, and I love localizing things and making things, like, like, specific and getting into those nuances and stuff like that. And I, again, like, haven't been... I don't always get access into spaces um, to, to do it. So instead of just like fighting against the grain so much, I'm just like, why don't I just like do it by myself? There's no, there's nothing 
any company that exists right now started off by somebody just doing it by themselves or like saying, hey, I could do this better. Hey, like it doesn't have to be this way. It can be this way instead. Um, and instead of complaining about it, I'm just like, you know what? Like, let's create my own thing and let's continue to writing about the things that I want to write about in the spaces that will accept those those narratives and those stories. So um, with that being said, my advice for like creatives um, is that like um, a lot of the time, some of us are creating on the margins or like we don't have access to resources or have full-time jobs. And what we do is a side like hustle or like just something to, you know, keep our creative juices going. Um, like really like sit down with yourself and remind yourself why you're doing it. If you ever get like overwhelmed or if it ever becomes like too much and know that like, if you know that there are people watching um, and hopefully those, those connections can be made where it can be something that's like, um, like profitable or that you can earn a living off of doing and like definitely don't stop doing it. Um, take space when you need to because um, sometimes we get so committed to our passions that it's hard for us to like walk away from it or like take a break myself included but definitely have a good balance of the energy that you put into creating um, the energy that you put into yourself as a as a human person uh, with needs and and desires and things that like need to be upkept, like your health and stuff and your obligations like work and all those other stuff that don't allow us to do our creative things um, full time. That was really good. <laughs> but I just want to thank you so I much, you so much. For, being on for being on your podcast. And I hope everybody enjoyed us talking about the industry and writing. And I don't know, but I feel really inspired after that. <laughs> Um, make sure to check out Bashi if you haven't yet on Twitter, Instagram, go read a publication, check it out, share it with your friends because we're all about supporting others. And thank you so much for being here, guys. <laughs>Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Shireen talk about some really, really important topics. As you know, subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, share the link. Let's make this go global. Thank you so much for listening again and I appreciate you so much.